0: UCB Life Issues, with Paul Hammond. And as always, a very warm welcome to this week's Life Issues. Now, CBT, counselling, therapy, anxiety, depression, stress. We are very familiar these days with the language of mental health and well-being, aren't we? But for a long time in my life, it was taboo to talk about mental health, to suggest that you needed help. It was a thing of weakness and failure, and especially for Christians and Christian leaders. Truly spiritual people didn't experience problems with their mental health. Therefore, if you were struggling, obviously you were also falling short in your faith. When I finally went for counselling in my 50s, oh, how I wished I'd had the opportunity in my 20s. The tools that it has given me are like a revelation, and I do mean that in a spiritual sense as well as a practical sense. But in my 20s, church leaders didn't examine their core values to see how influences were shaping their thinking and their behaviour. Nowadays, though, doesn't it seem as though Everything is about how this is affecting my mental health and my well-being. We get a bit pressured. Things aren't going well at work. Someone talks to us in a way that upsets us and you're affecting my sense of well-being. My mental health is suffering and we expect to be able to just back away from the situation. While it is good that we are able to talk and we are aware of the realities of mental health issues... Is there a danger that our increasing familiarity, our willingness to assign so much to this, is actually devaluing the experience of those who live with severe, enduring mental ill health? How do we find the balance of stress that is the normal weft and weave of life and that which is significant and warrants counselling, treatment and therapy? Well, this week we explore the importance, the value and the understanding we have of seeking counselling and wonder if some of the old church attitudes still influence the faith community's core values on mental health. My guest is Dr. Rob Waller. He is the co-founder of the Mind and Soul Foundation. MindandSoulFoundation.org is their website. And it's good to speak to you again. So what do you think of that premise? Is there a danger that our awareness of the realities of mental ill health can become, and some people's willingness to take that as an excuse, can actually devalue those who are struggling with severe, enduring problems?
1: I think it's 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 one of those difficult things where sometimes, you know, we welcome the move to get mental health into the mainstream. So we welcome the discussion. We welcome the fact that celebrities, politicians are talking about it. So it is a day to day topic today. But that can mean that it's a day to day topic in the wrong way as well. And I always think back maybe, let's say, 100 years, 200 years where mental illness was not seen as a a medical problem and people were sent off to asylums. It was often run by the the, the social work or or not part of the health services. And initially, it didn't come into the NHS in quite the way that we understand it now. And we didn't have medications for it. And therefore, it was a, a social problem, maybe a spiritual problem, and people suffered in silence. And what we've seen, particularly over the last 50 years, is effective medical treatments effective psychological understanding. And that has really, really helped people who before were condemned perhaps to be in an asylum for decades or to suffer, you know, to take to their beds for six months at a time with with a, a, a medical condition called depression. And that has now, that medicalization has been really helpful in reducing stigma. But as you say, it's perhaps come a little bit too much into into mainstream language, hasn't it? You know, everyone seems to have a, a diagnosis or a something or be on some spectrum.
0: So, is there a danger that that common usage actually devalues, undermines the experience and also the 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 recognition of of help and of support and of time and of uh, in the workplace tolerance that those who are genuinely struggling need
1: well i don't think perhaps we need to be either or so if we if we take a, a different example so let, let's supposing someone has a significant physical condition where they are unable to work in an office, or they're in a wheelchair, or something like that. Workplaces can can cope with that, can make adaptations with that. But the rest of us in the workplace can still pay attention to our physical health. We can still do physical activity, join a gym, um, eat healthily, etc. So, so I think we can do the same thing. I think we can acknowledge that there are some people who. I need them to see a psychiatrist if it's a more medical problem, a psychologist if it's something that needs those tools and levers. You know, you you spoke yourself there how when you went for counselling, you were given tools that you didn't have yourself. So we've got that professional help, but anyone can improve their well-being. Anyone can look at the work-life balance they have. Anyone can perhaps just think reflectively themselves and perhaps build some pauses into their day to to try and pay attention to their mental health. And that doesn't mean that we need to do that. It instead of, you know, we can still be aware of of more serious and significant issues.
0: What about the thing of shame? And I I think we'll come back to this later on, but for a long time, especially within the faith community, if you struggled with your mental health, if there were things moments when you felt depressed if there were times when anxiety and stress got the better of you it was often a thing of well are you really spiritual of the answer of course is to pray more and to be more spiritual have we moved beyond that in your experience
1: i think we're getting better i think one of the problems is that there is a link that there, there is a link between the two so if you are suffering from depression it can seem that God is more distant. And, you know, that link is there. But likewise, you know, if you are facing a significant cancer diagnosis, it can also seem as though God is more distant. So so I think it raises the same questions. But because our mental health, we think, is to do with the brain, and we sometimes think that our spiritual health is more to do with our mind than perhaps our bodies, um, we've made the link more in mental illness, that um, poor mental health must equal weak faith. And that, that's something that it, it's just something I think we probably started doing by accident, if that makes sense. Um, whereas in actual fact, you know, to have a positive Christian faith, yes, that will have a degree of impact on our mind, but it should also have a degree of impact on our bodies. Christians should look after their bodies. It should have an impact on how we think about our relationships, about the environment. You know, good Christian faith is no more confined to my head than anything else is. And likewise, my my mental health isn't really confined to my head. Yes, the the biology and the thoughts might be happening in my brain, but actually my mental health is far bigger than that. It's related to my debt, my housing situation, my past. you know, And I think when we think about the mind and soul foundation, one of the reasons why we chose those two words, mind and soul, I guess you could call it brain and spirit or whatever you want to call it, but mind and soul rolled off the tongue a little bit more easily. But the most important word there is and. It's how we think about the mind and the soul together, because they are not both inside our head. That is, I think, is an assumption that we make. And, and luckily, I think as We are thinking more holistically about our Christian faith in in terms of the environment, in terms of physical health, as I was saying. We are also thinking more holistically about our, our mental health as well. And the word is out there. We are talking about this more. Leaders are more willing to open up. And we're able to see that actually it's really important that leaders do it because if they pretend to be Bulletproof, um, wear mm-hmm. their underpants on the outside of their trousers. <laughs> Actually, that's not particularly helpful for the people they're trying to lead. I'm not saying that leaders should disclose everything from the pulpit. I don't think that's helpful. But to have some openness and vulnerability is is, is part of being a
0: leader. It was interesting for me when I went and it was after a period of of trauma that happened in our life and I finally was able to get myself into the place of counselling and of speaking to someone about the things that were going on inside my head. There was a lovely, lovely older lady in our church who had been a tremendous support to me through all the difficult times that we had faced. And so I thought, well, I'll tell her. I'm not going to tell the world and his wife. I'll see how it goes. I'll tell her. And I said, so I'm going to be going for um, for counselling. I'm going and go for therapy just try and help me make sense of all of this and she, and her response i think kind of sums it up but you're a pastor why would you need to do that she said and there was nothing malicious about it her love for me was it was genuine if i would told her i'd broken my leg or if i would told her i got cancer she would have been able to cope with that better because i mean you mentioned the environment you mentioned the the physicality of life we, we do, the church accepts the brokenness of that far quicker, even in people of faith, than it does our minds. Definitely.
1: And I think a lot of this is is mainstreaming this as a topic in the church. So for example, if you take your average church, they might have an eco project on, they might be doing something with the church garden, or having a a sort of collection bin or or recycling bins or something like that so they're doing their eco in in the church likewise youth work children's families work is embedded in the church there is a a, a children's talk in in many services they appoint those staff but I think sometimes when we talk about counselling in the church you know does the church appoint a counsellor where does that counsellor work in the church? And in the same way that no good church would appoint a youth worker purely to look after all the annoying teenagers so no one else has to look after them, (laughs) you know, that might be one of the reasons (laughs) why churches appoint a youth worker sometimes. However, no church would really say that's why we're appointing a a youth worker to sort of deal with that over there somewhere. Neither would a church appoint a counsellor to have that counsellor work in some small room away from it it might be a nice room but it's probably pastel shades box of tissues etc you know and that's where the counseling stuff happens and people go there to get fixed and mm-hmm. mental health is never spoken about. As, mm. as a topic mm. on a Sunday. So I suppose one of the challenges I often give to churches is if you have a counsellor in your staff or if you talk about counselling, please can you have an entire Sunday at some point in your church calendar that focuses on the wider topic, the wider aspects of our mental health. And on the Mind and Self Foundation website, we've put together a whole bunch of resources about how to run a mental health Sunday so you don't repeat that stigmatising, excluding experience that we're trying to move away from.
0: And you can find those resources and indeed broader resources as well at mindandsoulfoundation.org. That is the foundation that Dr. Rob founded with Will Vanderhart, and it has been speaking into this issue and speaking into this reality for many years now. So let's think a bit about counselling. When do we need counselling that is professional, qualified, informed counselling, as opposed to chatting with our friends in church or down the pub?
1: Well, I think let's not belittle chatting with your friends in church and down the pub. I think it's, I, I think that can be really, really powerful. I, I came across a lovely definition of community once, and it's when good friends and wise people turn their chairs inwards and talk well. And that That ability to actually have you know two or three trusted people in your life one one could be your spouse one might not be your spouse one one hopes it is but to have a few people who you can actually go and talk to and say I'm really struggling about this and I think the most important that most important things those people can give you is um first of all they they care about you as you so you know I do things on the radio and I've got a role in the NHS and you know it all sounds very important and impressive, but actually one of the most important things is I've got a bunch of friends who I play tennis with on a Tuesday night who are fundamentally not impressed. They just know me as me, you know, and yes, I might talk about some of the things I'm doing, but they're doing other stuff as well. And they 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 will tease me and say, ah, you know, whatever. Um, you know, so they're just good friends, and that's really, really important. And to have the ability just to chew the fat with people, I I think is particularly important. So it doesn't have to be someone who's professionally qualified, but I would want some deep relationships, I think is really important. But there are times where the levers need to be a bit deeper. And I, I guess what I'm thinking is, there's that quote, isn't there, Archimedes, you know, give me a lever big enough and a planet on which to rest it, and I will move the earth. And, you know, deep friends are... Are good levers but sometimes we need a more powerful lever and sometimes different leaders levers work for particular things so for example um the person-centered sort of standard approach to counseling is just to give people that structured space it's an hour a week where you can just go and that space in itself with with nothing else around it That space is a tool. It's a lever. And then other particular schools, you know, you mentioned CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy earlier, or psychoanalysis might be another example. These are particular levers. And it's tempting to think these levers get stronger the more qualified a person is. And that's kind of true in that when people have particularly challenging mental health problems, They probably do need a whole mental health team around them and therapists who are experienced in challenging behavior. But I think of it more as just different levers. And what we have to remember is that psychologists have been studying the brain in detail for 100 years. They've been studying it to a greater or lesser degree for a thousand years. You know, some of the first recorded psychological sounding things are, are, are from the Arab world over a thousand years ago. And we would understand what we might today recognize as CBT from that time. So people know a lot. I and mean, why wouldn't you go to a psychologist if you want to understand a brain? You know, if, if you want to build a building, well, sure, you can pray about the building if you want to, but you probably do an awful lot better if you went to see an architect and a builder because they would actually make the thing stand up. And, you know, sure, the foundations of any church are of prayer, but I'm fairly sure it's the beams in the ceiling that are holding the roof up.
0: Yeah, yes. And I suppose things like prayer and things like talking to your Christian friends and things like worship and and studying the Bible and so on, those become part of the structure don't they if you have an issue you are going for counseling therapy however we describe it the the those elements those important elements that in if i might put it like this normal times times when you're not struggling will be sufficient bulwark for you they they, they're still there they're still relevant they're still valid it's perhaps just that hour on a Thursday afternoon gives you permission to think a little broader about it.
1: Totally, totally. And, you know, one of the stories I sometimes tell is, let, let's supposing you're preaching John 3.16 from the pulpit on Sunday. You know, you're, you're preaching this verse to a church of 100 people. Now, one or two people, they might go supernova with that. They might take that verse and run off and start a church. But you're right, you know, the, the middle group in the congregation are going to get that verse as a result of the normal structures of church. It's going to be, um, you know, a good sermon, some, some worship, some songs, some times, some prayer, maybe a home group, maybe talking it through with their friends, you know, the, the, that group and there's probably a few in the church who are right at the other end of the spectrum who are going to be judged by that verse. But the group I'm interested in, I think we're talking about here, are that percentage in the church who can't fully embrace that verse with normal structures, but perhaps could with counselling. So it could be that they've got a a nagging issue with the word father or or love, perhaps because they haven't had that in their upbringing. And actually with the right space, they can process that and understand that. And then they maybe believe that verse with their head, but now it can get into them, into their heart. Mm. And it's that people who are able to be helped, but need a little bit more than the normal church structures. And, you know, you can think about 100 people listening to this sermon on a Sunday and you maybe say, well, that's 10, 20 percent of people and perhaps need that extra sort of level of discussion, pushback, um, and some of that might be with psychologically informed tools. I suspect actually it's probably more helpful to think that all of us are in that place at some point in our lives, or all of us are there with at least some of the, the, the Bible truths that we have issues about for want of a better description and actually if 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 we dug into them if we spoke to people if we if we pushed through them we would all find counselling helpful and this is one of the problems with counselling is that it's a hugely broad term you know anyone can 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 have a counsellor you know um Pope Francis was in the news uh, a, a couple of years ago for about how he saw a psychiatrist to deal with his social anxiety at one point. So the the, the, the pope's seen a counselor, you know, but and as far as I know, I don't think he was ill with it if that makes sense, but he 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 was well functioning, you know, doing his role and he he got that help. But then we've also got psychology or clinical psychology, perhaps, which is the help when people are beginning to lose function. And I think we're probably going to get onto this, but this this is where the difference perhaps between seeing a counsellor versus someone who is a clinical psychologist or, or GP or psychiatrist, it's where it begins to impact your, your level of function rather than perhaps just what's going on in your head, if that's the right term. I-
0: We'll, we'll come to that in a minute, if we may. Just before we do, though, I, I want to just sort of keep us within the confines of those structures of church because we are told to bear one another's burdens. And if my friend, either at church or in my workplace or whatever, is is having, if I can put it like this, to go to a counsellor to get the help they need, then how does that tally with me actually bearing their burdens
1: well it also says in romans 13 that we should all get on with one another but there's a lovely little postscript after that it says as much as you are able okay and you know again that we should all bear each other's burdens postscript as i bear yours i think the verse says and you know yes jesus bears our burdens but jesus also calls doctors as as a doctor I get quite offended when people say oh you know you shouldn't go and see a doctor I feel called this is my Christian calling yes. to, to do what I do you know and yes I'm not a reverend and I'm not ordained in that sense but I feel called commissioned to do that St Luke as far as we know was a doctor there's there's mentions of the apostles in their journey seeing seeing healers and taking, taking medicine at, at various times. And, you know, we should bear one another's burdens, but we should also use the structures that God has put there for us. And I suppose one question here is, when was the last time you went to a Christian hospital? When was the last time you saw a Christian GP? You know, there are Christian GPs out there, but there are very few in, I mean, not GPs who are Christians, but actually specifically Christian GPs. I, I think there's very, very few numbers of them and they're, they're all in private practice. And, you know, there are Christian hospitals. If you go to America, for example, there will be hospitals that are explicitly Christian. But actually their funding model means that they don't necessarily work in the kind of Christian way that you're talking about. They are mm-hmm. essentially open access hospitals. They just happen to be run by a, a, a Christian charity. So, so you know, we do bear each other's burdens. And of course we do. And it's not an either or. So if someone is coming to see me in the clinic, for example, I love it when a family member or a church member or a pastor comes in with them. Now, yes, there's times where we might want to discuss some confidential stuff and I might ask them to leave and so leave, but generally speaking, I love it when someone comes in with somebody. i worked in central Bradford for a year Uh, and I can tell you that the Asian community was significantly better at bearing burdens with people I almost never had a solo consultation whereas if I was seeing some young white often male in Bradford they were often by themselves in the world and that to me was more concerning because whatever I can do with medicine or therapy or whatever it is they're missing that wider social support so I think it's we continue to bear burdens. We go to appointments with people. And in actual fact, the um, NHS code, you know, recommends the involvement of carers and support people in as much of the detail as possible as, of mental health care as, as, as can be accommodated.
0: You're listening to UCB Life Issues. I'm Paul Hammond. My guest this week is Dr. Rob Waller. He is the co-founder of the Mind and Soul Foundation. And we are talking about the the reality of, the opportunity of, and sometimes the skewed impression we have of the value of counselling, particularly when it impinges onto the faith community. MindandSoulFoundation.org is his website. So... We, we've touched on a, a couple of the different types of counselling, in inverted commas, that's available. I wonder if we could unpack them a little bit. Then, sort of counselling, CBT, psychoanalysis, um, which is best?
1: Well, the short answer is the best person is a good counsellor. And actually, if, if if you look at these schools, they, they have a lot of overlaps. They, generally speaking, are An hour a week or people call it the the psychotherapeutic hour it's actually 50 minutes because the the counsellor needs 10 minutes to write their notes up and take a breather before the next one but you know it's structured time and the skills of the counsellor are first of all to use these ears more than they use their mouth is really important and secondly to ask curious questions you know they ask how what happened next how were you feeling generally speaking they tend not to ask the why question because the person doesn't know the answer to the why question that's why they've come for counselling but they might arrive at an answer to the why as a result of it but they'll ask curious what we call Socratic questioning good old Socrates who was around 2,000 years ago fell out with all of his enemies and you know they ended up being pretty unpleasant to him and one of the reasons why they were unpleasant to him was he asked he asked questions that opened up the cracks he asked questions that challenged people and forced them to stop glossing over the easy answers and you know rolling out plato he asked them socratic curious collaborative questions and a good counselor will provide that space listen and ask good questions Now, there is some detail in the different schools of counselling, and some of them work better for separate conditions. But that is the core thing. That's what you're looking for.
0: So when my counsellor said to me, I think it was around about my second session with her, said to me, you're very self-reflective, aren't you? And I went, yeah, well, it comes with the job, really. I'm always looking at, I suppose, those questions of Socrates, really, when I'm doing interviews. Uh, Applying that to myself she kind of flipped around the model of what she was doing that flexibility is what we should be looking for in the counsellor to actually hear where we are what we need rather than have i have my rigid rules of training and now we're going to follow set one two three and four
1: i think i think there's a place for those sort of manuals if that makes sense Um, but I think you're right the the most important thing is someone who's good and experienced so the first thing you're looking for is someone who is an accredited counsellor now one of the problems with the word counsellor is it's used left right and centre lawyers call themselves counsels from time to time don't they as well you know so this this word is not listed or or on a particular list but the word accredited counsellor is and um, the If if you search for accredited counsellor, you will come up with the official government lists. And um, one of the one of those lists is the Association of Christian Counsellors, for example. But that's just just one example. There's other lists of counsellors out there often related to the particular schools of counselling. But you want an accredited counsellor. And generally speaking, that is someone who has done probably several hundred hours of counseling prior to calling themselves accredited. They also have ongoing supervision. They're also part of some sort of body that has got feedback or oversight or a place that you can make complaints to and so on. So you're looking at, and, and that takes a few years to get mm. to that point. So you will probably be a, a trainee counselor up until that point. And you know, I mean, some some trainee counselors are, are, are very good, but they need to be accredited or there needs to be an accredited counselor involved
0: at some point because it used to be that ministers and i mean i i did it myself back in the the 80s we would refer to ourselves as offering counseling and of course what we were talking about was spiritual advice but very few of us had actually been trained to be counselors and and it it, it was a, a misnomer am i better as a Christian, as a person of faith, as a follower of Jesus, as someone who believes in the Bible, obviously it would be better for me, Rob, to to talk this through with a fellow Christian who is an accredited counselor. Yes? No? Maybe?
1: I probably would go so far as to say no. Okay. Um my, my reason for that is I think I think it depends what the problem is. If the problem is a purely spiritual person, which is that you want to ask some questions about what was said on sunday or something like that by all means talk to talk to the person who, who who delivered that sermon and you know it doesn't mean that church leaders are not necessarily good good counselors i wouldn't necessarily call it counseling though i think it probably falls more into the category of pastoral care yeah yeah and a good a good pastoral carer is someone who has enough training about mental health conditions to know when they're getting out of their depth and You know, we talked about the Association of Christian Counsellors a moment ago. Yes, they've got their list of accredited counsellors, but what they realised was that actually quite a lot of people who are in that sort of field were not going to hit the national standards for accredited counsellors. So we had to think about pastoral carers instead. And I think that pastoral carers do need training and youth workers also need training to understand Hey, this is the kind of thing you need to be seeing your GP about, or this is the kind of thing that needs to go to the hospital, you know, Um, so they need to know the limits. And they also need to know something of the general counselling skills that I spoke about the importance of listening, the importance of a, a calm, regular space rather than trying to fix it all in one session and the person's knackered at the end of it. You know, so I think good pastoral care can be done by people who are not counsellors and that can include ministers or some churches employ pastoral carers, pastoral workers who do not want to change to the level of accrediting. But if, if it is something that requires the levers that counselling, psychology, psychotherapy bring, then I would say you are better with someone who is good than necessarily someone who is a Christian. Because what you can do is you can supplement the Christian bit, okay? So, you know, supposing I wasn't a Christian psychiatrist. And in actual fact, the, the 99.9% of my NHS work were not having detailed conversations about spirituality. I'm, I'm doing psychiatry with people. Therefore, even if it is a Christian I'm seeing, I'm doing psychiatry with them. We're talking about medication and side effects and referrals and, and that sort of thing previous admissions, you know, we're not talking about their faith. But actually, if they're part of a church, and particularly if someone wants to come along to the appointment, I know that that side of things can be supplemented. What the church can't supplement is my knowledge as a psychiatrist. So so we can have, I think, you know, if you're worried about that, I would say get someone good, you know, likewise, you know, if, if you wanted an operation on your knee, you want the best surgeon to do that. Is that surgeon going to pray for you before the operation? Maybe, maybe not, but someone else can do that. That's okay. Um, Does that surgeon share the same worldview as you? No, probably not. But does that make him a bad surgeon? No. And you can can still see someone who is a good psychologist, even if they don't have a Christian worldview, because Mm. you you can take what you can from it if that makes sense. And you can be rooted in your local church and get that worldview, that perspective. I mean, Carl Jung, who was an analyst with Freud, said, psychiatrists are the new priests, who you go to to confess. And, you know, someone said, oh, psychiatrists, psychologists are the new priests. And trust me, I know a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists, they do not want to be priests. (laughs) They are quite happy for priests carrying on doing that And they will do their bit, and the good ones will work quite happily alongside other people who are giving support and input into the person's life.
0: And I suppose for some people, um, and interestingly, I was talking to a friend just the other day who was saying, the last thing I want is to be talking through how I feel with a Christian because, in a sense, I know what they're going to say because I've read those verses, I'm familiar with those biblical concepts. I suppose for some people there is a need for them to get a different perspective, to actually speak to somebody who is coming at this from a totally different way of thinking, who can respect the faith that's in that person, but yeah. go, hang on. And you've, you've hit it there. It, it's that curious perspective. Because I think you're right. You know, if, if
1: I go and talk to a friend who's a Christian, I, I probably know which Bible verses they're going to mention. And I know they don't work. Because I've read them already, I know them already. I remember chatting to one lady who who uh, been caring for her, her her very depressed husband for around ten years, and you know somebody suggested to her that she and her husband should read the Bible, and it's like I've been a Christian for ten years. Of course, we've thought about that. We've tried it. You know, that's not the answer here. So, so first of all, you get trite comments, um, which you know it, it's if you're trying to give advice or you're trying to support someone who's got mental health problems you know, okay, maybe share a Bible verse or two, but it's actually far more helpful to say, I'm going to the supermarket, can I get you anything? Yes. Or a bunch of us are going to the cinema, would you like to come? That kind of practical support is far more helpful than trying to impose your faith on theirs. The thing that's actually slightly more dangerous, though, is that two Christians become complicit about the problem, and they slip into what I call Christianese. So, you know, they they use these different phrases like, oh, you know, if the Lord... Returns or Deo Volante, if you like your Greek, and you know they they use this. Well, you know, I'll I'll pray for you, and they, they slip into these little platitudes which Christians use quite a lot of time. They're these little glue words that that surround any community of people. Little little shortcuts to things we mean. But you slip into that, and you you become complicit, and you think, well, what on earth do you mean? What on earth does it mean? You know, they said you pray for you, you felt better. Okay, great, but how? And actually, a good secular psychologist will pin in on that and they'll say so your friend said they'd pray for you and you felt better take me through that what was happening what thoughts were going through your head how long did that last for a good psychologist will ask those curious questions they will not belittle it because they see there's something in there but what they want to do is they want to draw it out they want to find out what's Actually going on, and that that's the skill of a good psychologist or a good counselor is noticing those shortcuts and saying, hey, hey, hang on, let's backtrack a bit.
0: But is that not the fear that many Christians have of going to a secular, unbelieving, non-believer of a counselor, of a, a doctor, of a psychiatrist, etc.? Is that they will undermine, they will question. My, the, the, the foundations of my faith upon which I am building my hope, Rob. So I would say no. I think,
1: I think some might, and possibly more in the past. I, I, think, I think the first thing to say is, you know, if someone explicitly and deliberately does that, complain about them to the highest authority. It is enshrined in law in the Equality Act That people shall not be belittled for their religion and belief in exactly the same way as you should not be belittled because of your race or your age or your gender or anything else so so if someone is belittling and actively undermining your faith report them because that is not good medicine or good psychology i think the concern is if perhaps slightly more kinder is if I go and see this person for 12 sessions, I'll end up losing my faith in the midst of it. And I think there's, there's two ways to counter that. The, the first thing is be open with the person and say, look, I'm a really strong Christian. This is really important to me. I know that I need to talk about it because I'm probably using my faith both for good and for evil but you know i'm probably making shortcuts in it and i i do want to talk about it because i but i want you to help me use my faith better so put it on the table this is what you want to 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 do and and it can be there for discussion and the second thing you can do is you you can supplement it you can talk to your home group about it you can maybe see a a pastoral counselor a a, a pastoral carer at the same time and you know be, be pursuing both things because A lot of you know, I mean, and likewise there's no reason why you shouldn't go to a gym at the same time and improve your physical health. You know, all of these things can can work alongside.
0: And if I might put it like this, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit can be as active in a secular counsellor's room as they can in a counsellor who shares your faith. The Holy Spirit is there to help us, if we will open ourselves very
1: much so and again if you want to take it one step further you could even see this as your evangelism (laughs) you you have 10 sessions to talk to someone who doesn't share your faith and you're you're obviously not going in there to try and convert them in such an explicit way but if you go in and talk in an honest way about your faith and the struggles you have with it and how it helps despite the fact that there are not answers to every question and how does creation fit with evolution? No, we haven't worked that one out yet. You know, if you're honest about the struggles in their faith and and they can see the positive impact it has on your life, that in itself is 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 a witness. And, you know, I believe the Holy Spirit can work in multiple
0: directions mm-hmm. in that environment. Absolutely. You're listening to be Life Issues, talking this week to Dr. Rob Waller, co-founder of the Mind and Soul Foundation. Mind and soul foundation.org a doctor with many many years experience working with people struggling with their mental health how do I know Rob when I need more than counseling when I need more than talking therapies
1: yeah and of course just to clarify about that we're, we're talking about you know pastoral care Christian counseling, psychology we're talking about all all, all types of talking therapies initially I think I think what I would say is it it, give it a go first of all you know so I think sometimes we can sort of assume that oh you know we need to see a uh, I don't know I I was talking to someone recently and they had a, a, a child who was age 12 and they had decided that they had to see a child and adolescent psychiatrist because their 12 year old was struggling and Talking to them a little bit, I thought, do you know what actually probably the person who you need to speak to is one of the deputy head teachers, the school link worker, and possibly someone from CAMS, almost certainly not a child adolescent psychiatrist. I'm not entirely sure how helpful they would be if if because I don't think this is a medical problem as such. So so I think start with what you've got. If if you've got access to good pastoral care, if there's a counseling, counseling service near you. Have, have some sessions of counselling. You know, you probably need to have at least six sessions. Um, more, more complex things, it, it's going to be, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20. These things take time to, to build the relationship, to internalise what, what the counsellor is saying. But if you've got to the point where you've done that, And also, most importantly, you've also addressed the other things that you can address. You've addressed as much as possible, your relationships, your your finances, your job, your work-life balance, etc. If things are still not getting better, then yes, it's definitely helpful to be saying, I would like to find out more about this. And the main route into that is the main route into that is probably through your GP. Mm. Um, And I suppose there's sort of a number of people who you might end up seeing. You might end up seeing what you might call a a specialist psychologist, if that makes sense. And they might be using a CBT model or a psychoanalysis model or something. But it's not that they're better than the other people. It's just that they're different. And perhaps most importantly, they've got different support structures around them and they are used to working with, with more challenging situations Um, partly sometimes that's challenging behaviours, and sometimes that's just trickier things that take longer. So I think, you know, there are many, many good people outside the NHS, but the NHS has people in these positions who are particularly working with complex cases. Likewise, you know, have a chat to your GP. Is is medication an option? And probably the, the key thing to think about whether or not medication is an option is, if your level of function is being affected if your sleep your appetite your weight your libido your concentration if these things are several clicks below where perhaps they were a year or so ago that suggests that in our brain that that the serotonin is low and an antidepressant might be of of some help and sometimes that will involve a, a, a psychiatrist as well but Probably those are the main two places to be thinking about initially.
0: Well, the thing is, Rob, I don't really want to go and see my GP because if I go and see my GP, well, all that happens, he'll put me on pills. He'll just stick me on pills. I'll be on the pills for the rest of my life. I'll probably be addicted to them. I won't be. They'll knock me sideways. I won't be able to function. Now, I know that that's not true, but that is still a very common perception that people have, especially perhaps people of an older generation when it comes to starting the conversation that maybe i need help
1: and also you know if if you do ring up your gp surgery they'll say oh we're only doing appointments today you know we'll book you an emergency appointment we don't take any appointments beyond today we'll put you down for a phone call today and you think oh i i, I want to get to know my local gp i don't know their name anymore you know you get whichever doctor's free i i think what i say that is still the route into the nhs mental health services is through your GP but there's there's ways around it so if they do put you on medication you know most antidepressants are pretty safe the modern ones are are pretty free of side effects try it for two or three months you need more than a few weeks you know try it for a couple of months at least but if it's not working say look I I, I don't think the medication has even touched this I, I would like to to to, to see someone to do some talking treatment Um, and likewise you know if you do get that phone call say a little bit and say look you know it's taken me quite a lot of courage to make this phone call could I book an appointment with you in a week's time or two weeks time to have a longer chat about this and most GP surgeries can can do that they do have appointments for ongoing care particularly around mental health they know that continuity of care is is important um so you you may start off with just a duty doctor but but ask for follow-up ask for ongoing things um and and do ask for that referral if you've tried the initial initial offerings
0: and can you self-refer to counseling and so within the NHS because i mean obviously a lot of companies a lot of firms now have the capacity for people to refer to short term counseling within their their sort of hr and 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 workplace support mechanisms but can you simply call up your local mental health team and go i'm really struggling
1: I think I think the key thing there is short term. And again, it, 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 it differs slightly in different bits of the country. It depends whether you can do this over the internet or whether you still have to go through your GP. But it, it's relatively easy either to get what's called computerized CBT, which is a it, it's still a good package. You know, we, we spoke before about the importance of having a, a skilled counsellor. But in the absence of a skilled counsellor, a CBT manual that you digest over a number of sessions, possibly facilitated by a computer, is still better than nothing, because you'd be amazed by the number of people who perhaps haven't understood how depression works. So, you know, a short introductory course about depression, perhaps following some standard steps, um, maybe in a group, maybe computerized, maybe online it is still a good place to start that can still help and you probably can self-refer to that or certainly there's a low threshold for putting those things before you or you might be able to get six sessions of counseling through your workplace longer term almost certainly not and there's there's good reasons for that um that's a scarce resource for which there are waiting lists and there need to be gatekeeping around that resource so at some point to have that longer work you almost certainly need a referral at some stage,
0: we started away talking about counselling, talking about the the shame that, that often within church life is associated with talking about struggling with your mental health or needing counselling or whatever. One of the things that I came away with from these tools that I referenced um, was an awareness that actually, if I had gone for that before I was in crisis, if I had learned to access those tools before I was in crisis they would have done, even if I'd never come to a crisis point, they would have done me phenomenal good just in living a more balanced life. I mean, we tend to assume that it's only the Americans that are into counselling, but actually, would it do us all some good to have this sort of opportunity, Rob?
1: I think, I think it would. I mean, these things are preventative as well as therapeutic. Um, certain counselling schools do rely on you being ill in order for the model to work. So we, we spoke about CBT earlier. The idea behind CBT is that your cognitions, your thoughts and your behaviours, B, so your C and your B are affecting your mood. So the avoidant, isolating or overachieving or overactive behaviours or the negative cycles or the jump to conclusions are affecting your mood. And therefore, if you address those things, your mood raises. Now, if your mood is not low, CBT doesn't work, mm. if that makes sense. But so so CBT almost by definition is is an intervention. It, it's, it's a medical model, if that makes sense. We have a problem, we have a diagnosis, we have an intervention and boom, solution or response. But there, there are certainly aspects of CBT or, or CBT can be applied to things like perfectionism for example or or cbt is actually the model is not necessarily that different to how adults learn and change in adult education so so there are sort of self-help lifestyle approaches that are that are there as well and some of this is being taught in school so you know resilience is a big thing in school at the moment 10 years ago, it was self-esteem was, was all the rage. I'm talking about self-esteem. I, I think I was talking to someone about this recently. And I think the key thing about resilience is that you can teach it to a certain extent, but it's as much caught as it is taught. So these things are are learned in the ups and downs of life. And you can read a book on resilience, and it might make you good at answering a multiple choice question about resilience. It doesn't mean you're resilient. You're resilient when you respond helpfully and positively to when life throws you a lemon you you have self esteem when your self esteem is challenged and you are able to to withstand that you you have good mental health when you weather the storms of, of life and i think i think we need to teach the theory in schools we also need to give people peak experiences and acknowledge that we will need support through difficult experiences as well and we can view this as mental health training if that makes sense just like we would do PE in schools um, so I think it, it is coming into the curriculum it, it should be there in the workplace if you read books about leadership and you know Branny Brown is great in her work on on vulnerability in leadership and you know, it's less about the targets and the sales and the bottom line in leadership now. It's about kindness and psychological safety. And, you know, you, you do hear these words, words spoken about in, in leadership training. Um, so I, I think we're, we're bringing it in.
0: When I went to my doctor and said to him, I think I need talking therapies. I don't want any pills. He very wisely said, I'll be the decision on that. I'll make the decision on that. And we chatted for a while. As it turned out, he agreed with me and that pathway worked for me. But going down that pathway showed me that there are a whole host of things that we can find ourselves prejudiced against when it comes to addressing our mental health. Now, why would that be? Because we wouldn't hesitate to go to the hospital if we broke our leg. We wouldn't hesitate to get help for a physical ailment. And yet, we still carry this stigma around mental health, anxiety, stress, depression, well-being. Perhaps it's time that we recognise that we are a whole package, that we are body, mind and soul, that we are actually a place where God can work through others in our lives to make us stronger that we might shine brighter for Him. And rather than keeping the idea of counselling, support, mental health hidden away in a corner in our churches, we take it out and we acknowledge its reality and we acknowledge the power of God through the good graces and work of great doctors, and through the support of people that he has put around us to bring healing to our lives that can transform the life that we live. My guest this week for Life Issues has been Dr. Rob Waller. He is the co founder of the Mind and Soul Foundation, and there are loads and loads of resources and books that he has been a part of that can help with a whole host of issues on that website. Mind and Soul Foundation. Dot org. Rob, great to speak to you today. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, Paul. It's been wonderful to be here and talk
0: about this. I'm Paul Hammond. This is UCB Life Issues. Why not join me next week for another one? Ta da!